Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A Waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. He said, well, yeah, the first day I ever met him, that's what my buddy said, that he was a game warden. And I'm thinking, yeah. He said, yeah, them guys go right in and live with them. You know what I'm thinking? <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> wow. We're on our third and final episode of our Secret Agent Man series with undercover Ohio wildlife agent R.T. Stewart. On part one, we learned about the big picture mechanics of undercover stings and how RT was a pioneer in the early 1990s for the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. We learned that humans don't do well with chronic stress and discussed the personal toll placed on undercover agents and their families because of it. And in a climactic moment, I asked RT a cutting question. Was it worth it? You're too good. <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. No. If I look back at it, if I had to do it over again and I knew what I knew right now, I'd say no. Mm. But at the time, it's the only thing I knew and the only thing I wanted to do. On the second episode, RT told us about his biggest sting, Operation Redbud where 26 men were convicted of over 275 wildlife crimes. They were taken by total surprise. I think we ended up arresting 26 that day. 26 people. Yeah. That's a major yeah, that's operation. A, yeah, it was, and at that particular time, it was the largest turkey poaching ring in the country. And on this third episode, we're going to hear about some close calls where RT was almost found out and explore the idea of human instinct or having a sixth sense or a premonition, but also how that compares with just pure wit. Many believe decision-making is purely based on observable data, but it sounds like some of our subconscious decision-making mechanisms are hardwired into our DNA. We're going to hear about that from Dr. Matthew Sharps from the University of California in Fresno. 
So, we're going to explore some of RT's best stories of how he handled trouble and how he used this uncanny wit and intuition to de-escalate situations. I really doubt you're going to want to miss this one. RT is calling a bird, and uh, the other officer just happens to let it slip out, good calling RT. So within a few seconds, he comes back. Yeah, that's why they call me Real Turkey, RT. Just that quick. (laughs) He smoothed it over so quickly and so well that there was no question. And he did that time after time after time. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is the Bear Grease Podcast, where we'll explore things forgotten but relevant, search for insight in unlikely places, and where we'll tell the story of Americans who live their lives close to the land. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. RT's working undercover at Lake Erie, and the, uh, the two main fish up there that people are poaching is walleyes and yellow perch. So people are coming to RT. They're selling him illegal walleyes, illegal perch. And at one point, again, one of the bad guys accuses him of uh, being a, a wildlife officer, and he's got to somehow get out of it and prove that he's not. So... Uh, at that time, and he wore a, a, a white cowboy hat a lot, especially when he gets dressed up, which I think is very symbolic. You know, the guy with the white cowboy hat's a good guy. The good guy. But that particular day, he had a wire under his cowboy hat, okay? So he's recording this uh, conversation. And so now he's got to put on a front that he's not the wildlife officer, so he accuses the other guy of being one. Oh, and he, he says, said, you're the wildlife yeah, officer. Yeah, he said, and I'll prove it. Let's strip, let's strip down and we'll see who's wearing a wire and who's not. So he strips down to his underwear and demands. At a party or something, yeah, right? Yeah, there's other people watching. And he demands the other guy do the same thing. They both look at each other. They both don't see a wire. And they go back to being buddies and drinking beer. The only catch is RT had the wire in the in his cowboy hat, which he never took off. That's a great story. That is a great story. Wow. So that's the types of things that when I talk about how he could react so quickly, very, very few people can do that. He, he did an absolutely great job. That was author Chip Gross. He wrote the book about RT Stewart's career called Poachers Were My Prey. Aside from cruising around in the poach coach, his 4x4 undercover van equipped with state-of-the-art surveillance equipment, during RT's time undercover, he was a master at thinking on his feet and appearing to keep his cool under pressure. However, just under the surface was the constant stress of being found out by the bad guys, causing RT to live in a constant state of fight or flight. Human response to stress in unusual situations is interesting to analyze because it's during these times that the veneers of our personality or any cheap socially accepted front we put on are cleared away and we see what's really inside of us. I often find myself disappointed when the outer layer of this human-shaped puppet I live inside of is stripped off. 
Often, I overcalculate my abilities to respond to stress. However, when the systems are overridden and we flow on autopilot, amazing things can happen. Sometimes it's incredible. Humans have been tromping around and getting themselves into pickles for so long. I wonder if we have mechanisms at the DNA level helping us. We've all heard about humans having a sixth sense, but is that even real? I need to find out. And like I've said so many times before, I'm interested in things that control us that we're completely unaware of. Here's Dr. Matthew Sharps of the University of California, Fresno. He's analyzing RT's stripping off his clothes at a party and demanding that the bad guy do the same. Dr. Sharps is going to talk to us about script violations. That's really brilliant, yeah, because when you're suddenly surprised like that, you go immediately into a very high level of fight or flight. And that means a lot of the blood resources you'd have for your prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain you actually think, the part of the brain that is involved in cognitive flexibility, okay? suddenly you don't have that. So what are you going to do? A lot of people suddenly start stammering and go, I'm, I'm, I'm not one. Maybe maybe you're one. I'm not one. And suddenly they're, they've had it. But that idea of shifting it into not only like the rage, like my friend in the anti-drug world, but into something very surprising. This, this you might be interested in. Human beings often act pretty much on automatic. You know, if I pick up a coffee cup I'm doing right, right now, I, it, it's not it's not something that I'm thinking about. I just do it. But you have what we call a script, the automat- automated sequences of behaviors. Now, if we say, okay, fair enough, here's a guy who does it, the, somebody who does it the other way. Okay, He has breakfast before he gets up every day. Is he rich or poor? Everybody knows, hey, he's rich. His butler brings it to him, right? Okay, here's a guy who had breakfast before he got up today, but only today. Okay, is he sick or well? Everybody goes sick. Now, nobody's been asked those questions before, but we all know them because of the automatic scripts that we deal with in our, in our world. So what this gentleman did was just brilliant, okay? Because suddenly when you're challenged like that, stripping off all your clothes and demanding that everybody else does too, that's a huge script violation. It's a script interruption. You turn the tables. The bad guys don't know what to do with you then. This sounds like a superpower. Being able to scramble the bad guy's social scripts so they don't know what to do with you? Who knew the bad guys were such delicate social flowers? Social scripts are so deeply ingrained in us that we don't even recognize we abide by them until someone breaks one. The script change can be so destabilizing that it reroutes the focus of the moment. You might try this in a benign situation. When someone confronts you on something, do something surprising and put a subtle question that demands a response back from them. Don't be a jerk or be deceitful. But sometimes people want something from you that you can't give them and you need a way out. It's worth a shot. Our fight or flight responses, though often not consciously calculated, are usually connected back to our training, whether formal or informal. After interviewing RT and seeing how many dangerous situations he was in, I wondered if he was ever in any physical altercations, like fist fights. So that's exactly what I asked him. RT in this next section is going to refer to an article that was written by Chip Gross in the mid-1990s about Ohio's new undercover wildlife department. On episode one, Chip told how the bad guys showed RT the actual magazine article when he was undercover. Got him in some trouble. Here's RT. 
Did you ever get in a fist fight or any kind of physical altercation just in the rough life that you had to live? I realize your your cover never got busted. Never got busted. But did you they ever? Got, I, I, I had a couple times where they were they suspect. Matter of fact, that re- that letter that the, the, the article the, about undercover agents yeah, brought it up. He said, well, yeah, the first day I ever met him, that's what my buddy said, that he was a game warden. Really? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, yeah. And I said, I, I don't even like to be called that anymore. You know, they never did bring it back up. But, you know, I felt I had enough confidence that I could say that to him. And yeah. he said, yeah, them guys go right in and live with them. You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> wow. But did I ever get in any uh, – now, would I have if I had to? Absolutely. I wasn't afraid to fight. I was fairly good shape, a fairly good size, so I didn't get picked on too much. But yeah. I'd been confronted a few times, but I was always talking my way out of it. Yeah. And I'll give you one example. Was uh, He was drunk, drinking, and then I was there, and he apparently didn't like me or whatever. And <clears throat> he said, uh, I believe I can take you. I said, you're a pretty good size car, but I believe I can take you. I said, you think? He goes, yep. I'm going to try you for the night's over. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, boy, uh, here we go. And I just said, I'll tell you what, buddy, I guarantee you'll probably win, but you'll know you've been in a fight. <laughs> he never, never said that. That, that those words just de-escalated yeah, the situation. Just de-escalated. And you were kind of a master at that. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was at the time, but I look back at it now and I think, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty quick. Because there's a hundred different things that you could have said that, that would have escalated that. Yeah. And that, that gave him an out. Yeah. That, I, that you gave him some honor. Yeah. You absolutely. Like, you were like, you probably would beat me. Yeah. But you didn't. But you're no, you're going to know you're in a fight. Yeah. So it let him know that. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm, like I'm, I'm going to use that sometime. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it worked. Uh, it worked. It, it gives them an out, you know, because you know, would he have won? Probably not. <laughs> you probably would have taken. A wise dude named Solomon, said to be one of the wisest men of the ancient world, once said, "A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger." One version of the quote says. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. This is exactly what RT did, and he threw in a little extra so he didn't sound so much like a sissy. <clears throat> RT, however, was pretty sure he would have won the fight, and here's why he had so much confidence. Let's just say he was experienced. I remember when they interviewed me, they said, uh, well, to take this job, I had a little experience in that fighting. Uh, when they did my background investigation, they said, also, I found out you like to fight. I said, nah, now you got me mixed up with my brothers, which they was big into fighting. And he said, all right. So how many fights you been? Now, keep in mind, I was 35. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, how many fights you been into in your lifetime? And I'm like, a lifetime? I'm thinking school yachts, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I don't know, maybe 40. <laughs> <laughs> like fist fights. Fist fight. Like yeah. real real fist fight. Not joking around no, fist, fist fights. Forty. Forty. And, okay. And I didn't think nothing of it. <laughs> you were like, man, I'm I'm the I'm the gentle one of the brothers. Well, I was. I was. My brothers ain't go to town just to fight. You know, but I mean seriously, my brothers were bad about it. And that's when I said you got me mixed up with my brothers. And when I told him forty and I went home and told my girlfriend at that time, I told her about the interview and so forth, and she said, Forty? I said, Oh, yeah. Did you got any idea how many men go through life and never been in a fight in their life? No, I 
I just thought that was natural. <laughs> you thought that was normal. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, that's not normal. Well, I discovered that after the yeah, fact. I can tell you, that's that so is not normal. I, so I wasn't a rookie at it. Yeah. You know. I, that's probably, too, what gave you some confidence. I mean, and not that physical strength is going to really be what somebody would need, but you knew you could take care of yourself. And yeah. that goes back to originally what you told me, that you had to be self-sufficient. Yep. And you know you're in you're in the roughest of the rough places with criminals, people plotting to kill other people. I mean, this is like this is a criminal world. It's and, a criminal world you're living in, and you're supposed to be the criminal. But if they find out who you are, your life is in jeopardy. And I never thought anything about that. I never thought I, I just felt that I could take care of myself if I got into a situation. Yeah, uh, I remember Chip asked me one time, "Did you carry a gun?" I said, "No." No, I never carried a gun, but I said, he said, well, if somebody doesn't pull a gun on you, I said, well, it depends on the circumstances. I said, if a man, we're sitting here across the table or in prox- close proximity of that individual, and that man pulled a gun on me, I had trained and was confident enough in myself that I would own that gun. Mm. I had that much confidence and training in my in weapon takeaway that I would own that You'd gun. You'd take it from him. I'd take it from him. There was no question in my mind I could take it from him. But now I said, if I walked in a door from here to there and a guy's got a gun on me, I'm what to call tactically disengaging. <laughs> yeah. I'm going back out the door because yeah. you, know, you ain't got a win situation. If you're within arm's reach of somebody with a gun. I'm taking it. I'm owning it. And that, that kind of confidence and even that you have to this day is what it would take to, to be successful in that kind of situation. Yeah. You know, and, and, and when I hear you talk like that, I, I think sometimes about these uh, – like active shooters that are that are yeah. happening now, and how the, a lot of guys uh, conceal carry, mm-hmm. and the potential for having to use your conceal carry to remedy a situation. I realize there's so many wild possible things that could happen, but I think most of us that aren't in law enforcement, probably when it came down to it, we'd like to think we could do it, but maybe would lack the confidence to well, to be I, able right. to. And I know, had I I'd raised with guns all my life. I had competed in combat shooting. I was very proficient, and, you know, I can't say what would have happened had I gotten a gun battle. It was like combat. You don't know what you're going to do, but I felt in my mind that I had enough confidence that I could control about any situation. Training builds confidence, and confidence is extremely important in all areas of life. Research suggests that confident people tend to be healthier and live longer, and it's likely correlated to the effects of the positive emotions associated with confidence, happiness, optimism, and satisfaction. As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence throughout the day knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. 
Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash bear. That's meatfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you... Open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater. But you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. I asked Chip Gross to tell me one of his favorite stories about RT, and I think this one will help us see some of RT's instincts in action, which will lead us to a bigger question. And here's one of the examples from the book. Uh, He would play cards two or three times a week with this group of poachers. They're playing cards one night, and you know how conversation goes. Well, there had been a bald eagle shot along the Ohio River, and the feds were in on the investigation. Of course, the Ohio Division of Wildlife was in on the investigation. Everybody's trying to figure out who shot this eagle. And the bad guys were talking about this and didn't directly say to RT, but they said, you know, uh, I think I think I know who it is. 
and they were trying to draw RT out. They're thinking if he's an undercover officer, he's going to want to know who killed this eagle. So they didn't know, really know who killed the eagle. No, I don't they believe they did. suspected that maybe Correct. something was fishy. So they're watching for his reaction. And he wanted to ask in the worst way, okay, who is it? But something told him, some intuition told him, don't say anything. Just keep playing cards and just fluff it off. And that's what he did. So it comes back then a few weeks later from the bad guys that, hey, you remember when we were playing cards you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the eagle? He said, yeah. He said, uh, you know, we, were, we thought maybe you were, we were a game warden. We were just testing you that night. That's the kind of instincts he has, okay? And I don't yeah. know where it comes from. It's probably a combination of natural ability and just working on the job and knowing when to push for information, when not. But that's the kind of person he is. You can't teach that, can you? I don't think so. You can't teach that kind of instinct. This brings up an interesting question about the source of what we often call intuition or a sixth sense or a premonition. Basically making a decision based upon data that doesn't exist. Dr. Sharps is about to tell us that some of our instinct is actually hardwired into our DNA. But let me say that even with this information, I absolutely believe in the supernatural as it pertains to a human's connection to a divine source to get information that can't be found from anything in the earth. Western thinkers often frown on and belittle things that science can't prove. But I think that rationale is hogwash. Science, by its very definition, is only geared to explain the physical, observable, and repeatable things in the universe. And the stuff I'm talking about isn't that. But I have personally experienced the delivery of information impossible for me to have known and disconnected from any other piece of earthly knowledge that came directly from the great creator of this universe, the El Jefe himself. I believe that with all my heart. However, I do believe that some of our intuition, premonition, our sixth sense comes from stuff that's deeply hardwired into us because we've been rambling around on this planet for a long time. And to understand where the origin of some of this stuff comes from, we have to look at the very fabric of our DNA. Here's Dr. Sharps with some info on how humans respond to animal tracks and looking in the eyes of serial killers. Stay with me. Yeah, because he broke his own script there. If you're an investigator and the bad guys drop something like that in your lap, there's a tendency to tr- maybe you, you circumvent it, but you want to you find that out. It's amazing how much behavior is under the surface that we don't even know about. But I did a paper some years, 20 years ago. I got interested in the psychology of hunting. And so I started asking myself, okay, what's the most complicated thing hunters do? What would you expect to have hardwired into the brain? The most complicated part of hunting is tracking. So would it help in the ancient world to have animal tracks, though, in your head? Would it help to have a sort of be born with an encyclopedia of animal tracks? No, it wouldn't, because saber-toothed tigers no longer exist. Mammoths no longer exist to be worthless. What you need is the ability to learn animal tracks. Well, I get urban college students that, in general, no experience, interest, or understanding of animals hunting, tracking, or even being outside. They still learn animal tracks three times better and faster than other equally unfamiliar stimuli. Human beings are geared to learn some of the scripts of hunting. 
We did another one, another study. It's not, not so much geared to hunting, but serial killers, you want to avoid them until you invent cops. Okay. All we did was show the eyes from the eyebrow to the top of the cheekbones of serial killers and non-serial killers to people. They didn't recognize them as serial killers, but they didn't like them. They didn't trust them. They didn't want to work with them just by looking in the eyes. So there's all these oddball, automatic really? things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've published that as both as a research paper and in my blog, The Forensic View. There's all these automated things in us, and we expect other people to behave in a certain way. We expect that if we behave in a certain way, the other people will treat us in the way we want. And in the undercover role, much of that is completely reversed. It feels like there's a whole bunch of data and intel working inside of us just because we are essentially a highly successful and I believe we're much more than animals. I, I do, but but from a scientific perspective, we're a very successful mammal on planet Earth. Oh, There's yeah. a bunch okay. of stuff that's flowing through us that we don't even understand that we do all the time. And people describe it as like a sixth sense, but maybe it's more mechanical, more explainable than just this kind of mystery of having a sixth sense. A lot of the stuff is under sort of, you know, it's automated in us. It's not conscious, but we come up, we come up with things like that. Uh, professor, this is how I got interested in the hunting stuff uh, from personal experience, but also from a professor named Gordon Orient. And all he did was measure the distance between people and trees in paintings. And of course, it's pretty much random, right? It's either where the artist wants them or they are where they actually saw them. But if it's a painting of sunset, Orient's found the artist wants to paint people close to trees. Well, what happens at sunset, aside from it gets dark, is Back in the day, the big cats came out. There were prehistoric cats that are extinct now, thank God, that specialized in eating humans or human ancestors. Yeah, today cats are nine inches tall. You know, you call them Mrs. Fluffkins, you give them fishies. But back in the day when they were in Sabretooth, yeah, like a lot of big cats can climb better than we are, but a lot of them were heavier than our ancestors. And you're in no danger now. But you still have, you still live and you put a painting on the wall. You want the people, the trees pretty close together if it's sunset. That was what <laughs> I didn't discover. That was discovered by Gordon Orient's. You know, artists want to sell paintings. People tend to buy paintings of if, if there is a sunset and there are people and trees in it, they seem to want to have the trees and the people pretty close together. What is what Orient's found the painters doing? We've got to rehash the three things that Dr. Sharp said because they're incredibly interesting. He said that humans are geared to learn some of the scripts of hunting at a DNA level. We're hardwired to be able to identify and remember animal tracks three times better and faster than other unfamiliar shapes. That's mind-blowing. Secondly, he talked about our ability to know if we can trust someone by just looking at their eyes. This is scientific research proving this stuff. Think about the nuanced differences in people's eyes. How could we possibly discern so much information from a glance? Is it the pupils? or how wide people open their eyes, or how long they maintain eye contact. There are only so many variables of imagery that create the visible look of the eye, but it tells us a lot. The third thing he talked about was an innate desire to be near cover at sunset. He basically said, if you're an artist and are painting humans at sunset on a natural landscape, you better put them near trees if you want to sell that painting. We all subconsciously know a key part of surviving on planet Earth is being near cover once it gets dark. And even in art, 
we lean towards things that make us feel secure. Now that is fascinating and points back to our hunter-gatherer roots. These three things don't really, though, give us any answers when we look at a career of somebody like R.T. Stewart, who had this uncanny instinct to evade bad guys. But it does tell us that the answers are often more complex than we might have thought. So here's another great story of R.T. getting out of trouble. I count this one to pure wit. Here's Chip. He and another undercover officer, a younger officer, are out hunting turkeys illegally with the bad guy. Okay. So R.T. is uh, calling a bird, and uh, the other officer just happens to let it slip out, good calling R.T., and the bad he guy... Was, he was caught in the moment, and yeah, he was excited. Yeah, good excited, call on RT. He good call on RT. And, of course, RT doesn't want <laughs> to be called that. So within a few seconds, he comes back, yeah, that's why they call me real turkey, RT. Just that quick. <laughs> just, so did to, the, just to cover did the, it and did smooth the bad, it over. Did the bad guy take note of it? Maybe for a few seconds. But, uh, yeah, he smoothed it over so quickly and so well that there was no question. And he did that time after time after time. Just so that's thinking on his feet. Yeah. He was able to say, that's RT stands for real turkey. Real turkey, yeah. So that's why I'm talking about that's how good he was. And very, very few people can do that. So well, we were very fortunate in Ohio to have him on our side. He could have been on the other side yeah. <laughs> real, real easily. Yeah. But uh, he, w- he was a pioneer in Ohio as to what he did. And uh, many officers have followed in his footsteps since. And uh, I think the undercover unit in Ohio is, is much in his in debt for what he did. You may remember from the past episodes, RT was one of the first undercover agents working in Ohio trying to catch wildlife violators. Now, some of these tactics are understood and agents are trained to do them. But RT was flowing off pure instinct that came from living a diverse life of working in coal mines, being an outlaw himself in his early life, and just being an authentic rural Southeast Ohio bro. But he also had an intangible thing that can't be taught. You've just got to be born with it. I want to hear RT tell a story about a case that he worked, which we haven't talked about yet. So the guy he's going to talk about is not Target 2, but he's going to talk about a guy that he became pretty good friends with. So much that this guy tried to hook up RT with his sister. And RT knew that this was trouble. And so one night, in the heat of the moment, he found the perfect way to blow up this would-be relationship. But first, he'll tell us a little bit about the suspect. And for all you parents out there, this story is probably a PG-13 story. A feller doing another operation, uh, i become very close to him. And he had children as also, and I always bring him candy and different things. And he would tell me things about their personal life that you know, he probably shouldn't be telling. But we become very close. I, he was a nice guy. He only had an eighth grade education. I did not take advantage of him by degrading him. I treated him as a human being. And uh, during the take, and he called me Buddy Bill. My name at that time was Bill Stone. And he borrowed money from he'd you. He'd borrow money from me every. <laughs> and he always paid you back. That was another thing. 
I, I told I told my boss I, he didn't know I was doing this. My boss didn't. And I told him later. I said, "Hey, we paid his uh, gas bill for the, all winter." <laughs> he said, "What?" And I said, "Yeah, he he'd asked me if I borrow money to pay the gas bill, and you know he's got kids." And I said, "I'd blown him the money." And then every weekend, whenever his wife would get paid, he'd help. He'd call me up and say, "Buddy Bill, come down." I said, "I forget her name." I said she gets paid, and we'll pay you. He was good to, good for his word. Good for good for his word on that. They paid me. No no sense to tell my boss at the time. And when, when he found out you were undercover, what was his response? The guys that took him down, they, he asked him who it was or whatever. And he says, they, he told him, they told him it was Bill and he said, buddy Bill. And he broke down and started crying. Mm. That, that, that hurt him that bad. Mm. And. I felt sad for him or sorry for him. He, cause he wasn't the mon- number one person I was after. Right. He was just a, he was an excuse to get to the number one person. Yeah. He just happened to get hooked up with me, but yeah, I, I felt sorry for him. He's having a rough time anyhow, but I had a job to do. And, you you know, had to do it. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. You were going to tell me about this lady that propositioned you. It was his, his sister. Oh. Said that we've got, my sister's coming in. I've been telling her all about you and she wants to meet me. And, and they were the ones, they were the ones that I let read the compensation papers and stuff on my injury. So they thought you had a lot of money. Oh yeah. And he said, apparently he'd been talking, talking me up to his sister and said, man, she, she wants to meet you. You'd be perfect match for my sister. And I'm going, uh, how do I get out of this? I said, she'll be in this weekend. And I went, oh boy. So we're sitting at a bar and I said, no. <clears throat> and there's another guy there with us. And I said, you know, I got hurt in a coal mine. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was a real part of your story. Yeah, right? that was a real part of my that story. That you'd already told them you got yeah. hurt. You didn't hurt. probably go into detail. No, I didn't go into detail. I told them I got my, which I did. I got I got covered up in the coal mine, hurt my ribs and my back and my hip. Okay. And that actually happened. That actually is a true story. Okay. And uh, But I didn't tell them the rest. How I come up with this, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Make it on your feet, man. (laughs) Yeah. But I know that if I'd have told them I had an operation in my back or something, and if we're in camp and take my shirt off, there's usually a scar or something. You know, there's usually, you got to have, you got to think ahead, you know. Yeah. So I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? So I'm sitting there. I said, now, Leonard, I want to tell you something, but everybody don't need to know this. And he, I said, come here. He gets in there real close. I'm holding my head down. I said, you know, I got hurt in the coal mine. Yeah. I said, but I didn't tell you the, the whole story. I said, it's kind of embarrassing. He goes, what's that, Bill? I said, you know, I like to chase women and everything like that. But I said, I can't do nothing. He goes, what? I said, yeah, I lost my, my, my nuts. And he goes, what? I said, yeah, it was part of my... And uh, I said, it's very embarrassing, but I said, nobody knows that. So will you please keep that a secret? I said, uh, how I was able to do it, I had tears coming down. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Not one time after that did he ever mention his sister. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. (laughs) Right. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. It it worked. Wow. It worked. You just came up with that I just come up with that right on the spot. It de-escalated the situation. That was what Dr. Sharps would call a script change, and a wild one at that. It was something that no one was expecting and took the emphasis off of what everyone was focused on.
The only reason I knew about RT was through the book Poachers Were My Prey by Chip Gross. The book is written in the first person, meaning in RT's words, but Chip is the one that wrote it. You can order this book off Amazon, and it's a fun read that goes into much more detail than we could get into on this podcast. RT tells about his top 10 operations, and all of them are full of excitement and disgust. As you see how criminals sought to take advantage of the system, but you also see the fascinating ways in which RT infiltrated these poaching rings. Here's Chip with a few words about the book. We had a fun time doing this book, and I felt privileged that he asked me to do it. And I got to hear all these stories firsthand. And to me, that was super interesting. I mean, super interesting. And the way we did this, you know, he lived here in Southern Ohio. I lived in Northern Ohio. We would pretty much each drive about an hour and a half, two hours toward the middle of the state. We'd meet, he'd tell me uh, one of the stories. I'd go back home, I'd write for about two weeks, get it about the way I wanted. I'd call him and say, okay, RT, let's do another one. We'd do it again. We probably met um, probably a dozen times. And that's how the book uh, got written. Yeah, Uh, it's really well done. In this Secret Agent Man series, we've learned a lot about undercover law enforcement and human nature. We've learned that criminals are fueled by ego. We learned about the social hierarchy of criminal rings. We learned that humans are designed to handle acute or temporary stress, but not long-term chronic stress. We learned that the best liars often stick really close to the truth. We learned that criminals can be despicable, in most areas of their lives. Some of them are. But sometimes they're decent people that are just misguided in certain areas. We also learned how much our game agencies are willing to do to protect wildlife. We also learned that these tactics that were employed pre-internet and pre-social media are completely different than what they're doing today to catch criminals. I think the biggest takeaway from all this is that we need to continue to craft the hunting culture in North America in a way that values obeying the law. I'm in the field a lot and around a lot of people, and I still see where foolishly the idea of breaking game laws is glamorized, even amongst good people. And that's just plain foolishness. In the end, I'm grateful for law enforcement and all that they do to protect wildlife and wild places. I can't thank you enough for listening to Bear Grease. Do me a favor by sharing our podcast this week with your buddies, and we'll see you next week on The Render. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. 
Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more.